What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 185, brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, this morning I asked you what time I wanted to record. You said 1015. It is now 1041. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than me? Yeah, no, most definitely. <laughs> no, here's what happens. I okay. like I look at so I was not home, I was out. I look at my phone. And I'm like, all right, I can be home in like 15 minutes. I get in the car and I get driving and I go, you know what I really want is coffee. And then I stop and I get (laughs) coffee and I go, okay, I have to make sure I tell Mike. And then I open my phone, I start doing something else and I forget. And then like by like 1024, I get home and I'm like, ah, yes, (laughs) I have, I get like, I schedule my day the night before and then I make like one small decision in the morning. It's not according to the schedule, and everything falls apart. Right, and I can't handle it. It's not good, so I apologize. No, it's fine. It only it 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 only happens every time. You know, moral story is yes. It's all just me trying to communicate to you that my time is more important to me than your time is. (laughs) That's That's what I'm receiving. Takeaway. That's what I'm getting on my. I apologize, Mike. I'm sorry. It's all good. Look. We're here. We're doing the thing. So what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be analyzing the potential for a Jamal Adams trade, maybe talk some Matt Pryor. We're also going to take a look into the history of first round pick and and player swap. So, I mean, let's just jump right in. You wrote about the possibility of a Jamal Adams trade to the Eagles for BleedingGreenNation.com recently. You outlined the pros and cons, arguments for and against. Obviously, the Eagles are looking for a Jenkins role type guy. And as we've talked about extensively on this show before, uh, we don't believe that guy is on the roster. Jenkins lined up everywhere for the Eagles, was effective everywhere, one of the best mental processors, getting guys lined up before the snap. Nobody on the roster has proven that type of effective versatility. And even the rookie we both really liked, Kevon Wallace, has limitations when it comes to that because he's a smaller guy that's more effective coming downhill rather than starting off in the traffic that a box presents. So Adams, on the other hand, as you outline in your piece, 400 snaps in the box last year per PFF, 131 at the slot, 297 at free safety. I'm of the opinion that Adams is more than just a, uh, the box safety label that so often gets slapped on him. 
He's effective to all three levels. Uh, he's just incredibly infect- effective when he's in the box and pops when he's in run support or coming on a blitz. And one example of that, and this was tweeted out today by friend of the show, Brett Coleman, quote, the Jets defense as a unit led the NFL by a lot in tackles for loss against the run. They had 80 of them and their tackle for loss percentage was 19.2%. But when Jamal Adams lined up at linebacker, their tackle for loss rate jumped to 30%. So almost a third of all carries went backwards. So that's a fun stat that shows Adams' impact from a box alignment. And like you mentioned, when you compared them, Malcolm Jenkins turns 33 this season. Adams is turning 25 coming off an all-pro season. There's a definite difference there in terms of upside and what you can expect coming into this year. I think we both agree that Adams is a top-tier safety that's going to make an impact wherever he goes. The problem becomes... And you know you're going to have to pay him like a top-tier safety. And even if it's not this year, as you said, he might be willing to play on his existing deal for the 2020 season before renegotiating a new deal. He wants to go play for a winner. The Eagles cap situation isn't as dire as some have made it seem. But with the possible impact of COVID on the cap, it doesn't look like a deal that's feasible when you look at the situation in 2021. And on top of it, one of the best ways to be cap solvent is by having a cost-controlled rookie or rookies at premium positions, and the Eagles would be trading away at least one of those assets in the deal, which further exacerbates the problem. Ben, I think this is more wish than reality, in my opinion. Still, the Eagles, I believe, are sixth in the betting odds to land Adams among the 10 teams listed that I saw, uh, with the Cowboys and Ravens leading the pack. I mean, imagine the carping from the peanut gallery if Adams lands in the division with the Cowboys. Ben, your thoughts? Yeah. So we start here with this fundamental truth. The Eagles cut Malcolm Jenkins because he wasn't going to play on the, I believe, $8 million he was due for the 2020 season and then nothing else. He was not going to play without a new contract, right? Which is to say that the Eagles saw Jenkins' age, skill level, talent future projection relative to that cap figure and said no thank you we are not gonna pay you that money over that time ipso facto therefore thus lee <laughs> they are not going to look at jamal adams and say we will pay you more money than we were going to pay malcolm jenkins over the same period of time right it could be double that in 2021 right so it's and that's the thing is when you look right now at what adams can potentially be paid he's got the 3.5 million roughly left on this upcoming year and then he's got 9.8 million on the franchise tag next year right so or or, excuse me on his fifth year option so you could potentially be looking at about 14 million dollars of adams over the next two years that would be fine but the whole thing the whole reason that adams is not is getting traded is because he does not want to play on those years right as malcolm did malcolm wanted obviously more money in the short term but malcolm said i'm not going to play on these years adams has said i'm not going to play on these years he said to the jets this is where i'd like to be traded and there's a rumor that he might be willing to play at these places without getting an extension but unless you know that 100 percent, you traded away malcolm for cap relief or excuse me you cut malcolm for cap relief you didn't get anything in trade hmm. and now you're going to trade away <laughs> things right to bring in Adams to ruin the whole cap relief thing. So if anything, maybe you get eight, nine years younger for a few million dollars in price. 
Like that's the very much the edge case. The much more likely case is you get maybe a year of Adams, then Adams says, I'm not playing on my fifth year option. You've got the exact same issue that you had. It just cost you a first round pick to go get it again. And as some people have hypothesized, and I don't think this is reality, maybe a tight end like Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard and a second, which I don't necessarily agree with uh, with doing. I know a lot of people think that, well, you're going to have to choose between Goddard and Ertz anyway. Not this year. So why do it? You can do it next year. I mean, at Goddard's on coming into the third year of a rookie contract. Anyway, Ben, please right. continue. Now, right, so the, the thing about Goddard Ertz that doesn't work is... What your argument is, is, okay, if we trade a guy who we were going to give a big extension to and bring in Adams, then technically we're not adding anything to the cap. We were going to give a big extension to blank, so let's say Zach Ertz. We got him off the cap, except for his guaranteed money. So then we can now extend Adams, and and he'll just fill up the space that Zach Ertz was going to fill. Yeah. Yes, but also you were never really going to extend both Ertz and Goddard. Right. Right. Maybe. If Goddard was not that great, or if Ertz was starting to get worse, but they're both good. If you're if you're going to extend Ertz, I don't think you're signing Goddard to a big deal. If you're signing Goddard to a big deal, I don't think you're exactly. extending Ertz, right? Ertz's contract expires in 2021. That's when Goddard's deal expires. So you have them for the next two seasons, right? Ertz, you're probably going to have to restructure that deal yeah. to get some cap relief in the short term. The classic how we restructure, which he's already done on Earth's contract once before, where he'll take future money, he'll guarantee it, and that'll allow him to prorate it over multiple years to alleviate the single-year cap hit across multiple seasons. Depending on the recourse the league takes with the 2021 and 2022 cap ceilings, which, as a quick aside, if the league makes not the amount of money they expected to make in 2020, which they will not because of COVID, because there will not be fans of games, because there will not be the same number of games, so on and so forth, then the league will have to somehow adjust future cap years to reflect the decrease in revenue. Mm. This is something that all teams are aware of, privy to, and, and, and nobody really knows what the solution is going to be. But for no team, does it matter more than the Philadelphia Eagles, who are currently $50 million under the 2021 cap, and I believe are only $30 million above the 2022 cap, Yeah, which is the lowest or second lowest in 2022 and then the lowest by 2024 and by by under you're saying in the red by over you're saying in the black yeah in the black moral of the story the eagles are the second worst team on the cap at best in each of the next five seasons so (laughs) that's with cap projections of regular revenue and as you know, we know in this podcast, and Eagle fans know, future year cap with Harry Roseman is a little bit of a myth, right? Yeah. He's always going to there's, there's there's space to be generated. Right now, the Eagles are 50 million in trouble for 2021 in the red, but they have 24 million in cap space that they're hoping to roll over from 2020. That cuts your problem in half when right. they move on from Alshon, when they move on from Deshaun, right? They're able to 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 grab some cap space there as well restructure Fletcher Cox restructure Carson Wentz and all of a sudden Malik Jackson can go because Hargrave's here like all these different things that they can move money around for sure so it's not as dire but as you're mentioning it's still bad yeah so there's 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 always a plan it's not like the Eagles already had their pants around their ankles and now because of the cap space their pants are like through the floor right (laughs) it's just to say that every team's gonna have to deal with a very 
unpredictable cap situation for the next couple of seasons at least. Hmm. And the Eagles were already in the stickiest situation with the cap in the first place. So, cool. Trade Ertz and a second for Jamal Adams. You get some cap relief, but you're also still going to be in cap trouble like everybody's going to be. It's funny so the moral money. of the story is, one, nobody wants to add a big contract like Adams, especially because there's a good chance that Adams will deny playing, if not this season, the next season, unless he gets the extension. Two, the Eagles specifically are in a tough cap situation with that because the guy they would be drafting Adams to replace, excuse me, trading for Adams to replace, Malcolm, the whole reason they let him walk was for cap relief, right? Like Malcolm was the man. There was nothing wrong with Malcolm. Malcolm was an incredible player who never missed a snap, was the leader of the defense, was a huge community leader, and he's my dad and I love him to death. So there's no way the Eagles can do this now. The Eagles should absolutely do this. It's Jamal Adams. Right. And that's what it comes down to. Is like right. once you get past all of these insurmountable barriers, and yes, I know what I just said. Once you get over these unscalable hills, yeah. Jamal Adams is perfect and I want him on my football team. Right. He is the closest analogy. Like it he is younger Malcolm. Like in terms of what he was asked to do last year relative to what Malcolm did last year, he is Malcolm back at full athletic ability, which as we talked about, like Jenkins was still extremely good, but Jenkins was getting older. Mm. And his, his athleticism meant he was a little less effective in coverage. Adams is not that problem. Adams is a great athlete. And when we talk about the, the term box safety always makes me laugh because I, I view box safety the same way I view the term like system quarterback. Right. You ask 10 people what box safety means, you're going to get 10 different answers. Yeah. Right. Well, what a box safety, right? For Adams to play in the Greg Williams defense, and to take the amount of snaps he did at the variety of places he did, to me, is very analogous to Malcolm playing in the Jim Schwartz defense and taking the amount of snaps he did in the amount of places that he did. Because both of them, it's not like in every game they took 20% of their snaps at free and 40% of their snaps at linebacker and 30% of the snaps at slot corner. No, one game they were like a linebacker. Next game they were like the free safety. And the right. next game they were like the slot corner. They just solve problems for defensive coordinators who do not want to change their scheme at all, right? Yeah. Greg Williams is Mr. like 20 yards back free safety. So Jamal Adams had the entire like intermediate hole to cover by himself from a linebacker alignment and was able to do so successfully, right? Jamal Adams was like the solution to tight ends for the New York Jets. Right. And nobody else. Name a Jets linebacker after CJ Mosley got injured. You can't. And like same thing for the Eagles, right? They didn't have anybody. Navelle Hewitt because he got dominated by Brandon Brooks on like Freaking, a half dozen uh, reps. Forty six. His numbers in the forties doesn't even yeah. count. It's like Nate Gary, whatever. You know what I mean? Right. It's like <laughs> the, the 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 similarities like even go to the fact that they had to deal with like terrible linebacking cores and try to make them look good, and they were hugely valuable against the run because of their vision and the way that they could key despite being a secondary player. Adams is so like Adams is to me. Of all the teams that could trade for him, Philadelphia is the absolute number one best scheme and situation fit on the field and the absolute worst situation fit on the cap. <laughs> right. And that's frustrating and sad, um, but it, it, it is a fun thing to talk about in the hypothetical because he's a really good football player. Yeah, like you said, if, if you can get Adams to cross the Alps and he get him on the field, then yeah, you're absolutely excited to have him. But you're still, you know, tugging at your collar when you look at the cap situation. And this is a cap situation that isn't surprising to anyone. We've been talking about it for years now as 2021, 2022 being the years where it gets super tight. And now COVID has just made that absolutely worse. And the, and the cost for Adams is extremely prohibitive. And when we come back from break, we're going to kind of attack this discussion from a different angle. We're going to take a look at first round player swaps and what it means for the cap. Uh, a continuation of that discussion as well that's coming up next 
here on the Kiston Solak Show. BLG just tweeted out the uh, the links for the day. Mm-hmm. Nate Gary among Eagles' top contract extension candidates. Oh, that's so gross. Four players who could sign contract extensions in 2020 by Mike K. You got Derek Barnett, Cam Johnston, Nate Gary, and Duke Riley. They extend Barnett before he does anything? And Gary? Are you kidding me? I'd, I'd, I'd prefer a rebuild at that point. <laughs> Much like Barnett, signing Gary before he breaks out is important. My G, if they've started for two se- if they've started for two seasons, they ain't breaking is out. Is it? Is it important? Yeah, where's where's Sidney Jones? We gotta sign Sidney Jones before he breaks out. Are you kidding me? We might as well include that in the show. We're gonna go to break now. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 185. Brought to you by BGN, SB Nation. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. We are talking about the potential trade for Jamal Adams, just throwing out some different scenarios. And and look, let, let's kind of attack it this way. Assuming the cost for Jamal Adams is a first rounder and just a first rounder. Marcus Mosher recently put out a chart with all the first round player swap trades in the last decade. And he was making the case, which was weird to me, that most of the time the team trading away the pick for the player won the trade. But that's not really what the chart said to me. So there have been 17 of these trades from 2011 to 2020. One thing that jumped out right away is there were four of those trades in 2019 more than any other year. And there's already been two from this offseason, which include the Colts trading for DeForest Buckner and the Bills trading for Stephon Diggs. So there's an uptick in these types of deals, it trades lately, but we really have no way of knowing if those trades specifically are winners long term yet. So I've, I've thrown those out. That leaves you with 11 trades from which to form your opinion. It's a small sample. Two of them are one year of Brandon Cooks, right? So yeah, if I'm the Saints, I would much rather have tackle Ryan Ramchek for his career than one year of Brandon Cooks. So that's that's easy. It's two to nothing. The Khalil Mack trade 
is a weird one because the Bears didn't win a playoff game and now they're in cap hell and with a lack of draft assets making their problem worse, they couldn't really identify and, and, and fix the quarterback position. So that's not Mac's fault at all. He's still an elite player and he probably ends up more valuable than Josh Jacobs and Damon Arnett, who Oakland took with those picks. But even that W comes with its own underlying issues, which is kind of the cap issues we were talking about before. Let's make it two to two with Amari Cooper. The pick made was Jonathan Abram. I really don't see a universe where the Cowboys didn't win that specific trade. I'll take Derek Barnett over Sam Bradford. We all remember that trade. Seattle wins in the trade of Jimmy Graham over the Saints pick linebacker Stephon Anthony, even though they only had Graham for two years, only one of them being productive. Anthony has been on and off the field, so you're at three to three now. Nobody won the Johnny Manziel-Trent Richardson trade in terms of a process, though. I'm taking a swing in the first round before I'm keeping Richardson and paying a running back for another year if I have the option. Still, let's say that's a push. Back in 2013, the Jets traded Darrell Rivas to the Bucks, who was misused there and done after one year. The Jets used that pick to draft Sheldon Richardson, the interior defense lineman, who gave them four years at a discount, and then they recouped a second rounder to trade him to Seattle along with the wide receiver. So He was defensive rookie of the year that year as well, wasn't he? Right, yeah, he crushed it. So the Jets obviously won that one taking the pick. So you, you look at another one, Percy Harvin or Xavier Rhodes in 2013. I mean, give me Rhodes all day. That's not even a debate. Now you're at 5-3 to three in favor of the draft pick over the veteran. Uh, another trade included Oakland shipping two first for Carson Palmer, who would go eight and 16 as a starter over his two year stint there. Oakland the year before also traded for Richard Seymour. They shipped off three first round picks for two players in two years, and they followed that up with multiple losing seasons. And it's kind of what the Rams are, are facing uh, up against now. Even with the Rams, their most recent one, would you rather have Jalen Ramsey on a contract year right now? or Kalevon Chason and a 2021 first-round pick. So w- when you look at it, it's it's pretty even, and if anything, you have to favor the picks. And, and this is something that I put up on Twitter the other day, and the results are interesting to me because they're almost the exact opposite of the poll results in your article about Jamal Adams asking about a trade. So let's say that before the draft, that the Eagles traded their 2021st for Jamal Adams. Jalen Rager... As a rookie, he hasn't signed his contract yet. Only like three first-round rookies have. But Rager is projected at an average cap hit per year of $3.3 million. Adams likely wants something in the ballpark of $15 million average per year. That would make him, right now anyway, the top paid safety in the league. I think the highest is like 14.6. So would you rather have, knowing what, you, knowing what we know now, would you rather have Jalen Rager and $11.7 million in cap space average per year or Jamal Adams at $15 million average per year. The results, people say 65%, they want Rager in the cap space. But in your article, about 65% want Adams in a trade. When you put in that extra context, I think it makes people hesitant and really kind of illustrates like what they're dealing with with a money perspective because you're not just trading the pick. You're also trading a premium asset that's a cost-controlled rookie as well. And if you don't illustrate that, I think I think people have a hard time wrapping their minds around it. So when you put it in that context, Ben, does it change your opinion any or is that kind of what the train you've been along the entire time? My head says Rager. My heart <laughs> says Adams. Um, which, you know, we just got 15 minutes off of talking about how exciting of a player Adams is. I'm sure if we spent 10 minutes talking about how exciting Rager is for Philadelphia. Right. Then but then get, at $12 million, yeah. you can almost afford, you can afford like a tier down safety from Adams. You could just buy one outright 
or you can yeah. save that cap space. Yeah, I mean, like I would, I would say that safety is is a pretty stratified. You know, if you can fill the role that Adams can fill, you're not going for ten million. Um, but anyway, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Rager. I think that there's a lot that goes into looking back on the trade of first round picks for veteran players. Oh yeah, and how that typically goes. There are times, you know, when when you look at at this list, there are times when you want Caleb on Chasen and another one, and there's times where you want Jalen Ramsey right now, mm-hmm. right? And it depends on where you are kind of in your stage of team building. So it's difficult to always take these and, and put them in a vacuum like that because, I mean, there's interpersonal relationships with the team too. Can they really hold on to yeah. that player? What's the direction of the team? So I get that part of it too, for sure. Right, like Minka Fitzpatrick for Austin Jackson looking at 2019, right? Laramie Tunsil right. from Noeg Vinogany in a 2021 first. Like none of, neither of these look good for Miami right now. But also, like, it was what was necessary to kind of yep. wipe the team and, and move forward a little I bit. Agree. And then, as with all things, I mean, figuring out just how good a draft pick is, figuring out just how good or valuable a player is, is always extremely difficult. Like, when you were, like, the 2015 Jimmy Graham for Stephon Anthony one, I was like, eh, Stephon Anthony's been pretty good when he's been on the field recently for the Saints. You know what I mean? Like, it's right. like... There's, yeah. it, it, it's it's very difficult, right? Just to sit down and be able to, to parse this clearly, and, and you know, you see the list made nice and neat like this, but there's also always like late round picks that get thrown into the, the conversation as well, and those matter. So, at the end of the day, give me Rager. The Eagles needed at at the time at which Rager was picked, they needed a wide receiver more than they needed a safety. Hmm. Rager is not verified good. The way that Jamal Adams is verified good, but Rager also costs one fifth of what Jamal Adams costs, <laughs> right. and that's where that's where you bake in that risk, right? So the Eagles grab Rager, they hedge the bet with Marquise Goodwin, they hedge the bet with with late round flyers, and you're likely to get at least a good receiver out of that at a cheaper value than 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 you would have spent on Adams. So I think that overall, that's the better decision. But with, with as with all things, like if it was a, if there was an easy way to measure a veteran against a rookie against cap space on one magical chart that told you how valuable these things were, the NFL would be a lot easier and a lot less interesting. And there <laughs> is right. it. That's what makes it fun. All right. So that's the discussion on Jamal Adams. Let, let's go into – we were supposed to do this a while ago, but I, I wanted your opinion because you broke down all of his snaps. But dealing with the injury to Brandon Brooks, which, I mean, has its own implications with the cap, and hopefully in the future he can he can stay healthy moving forward because he just got that new contract and everything. Obviously wish him a, a fast recovery uh, to come back. He's one of the best guards in the league. But trying to replace him in 2021, not necessarily replace him, but just like mitigate the loss with another player. Can the Eagles do that without – spending money without going to get a Larry Warford or whatever the case may be a veteran that would cost some extra money against the cap and prevent the Eagles from rolling over that cap money which they so desperately want to do in my opinion you took a look at Matt Pryor's film from last year what were your takeaways because I remember I was putting together the the best of the kiss and Soldak reaction shows and when Pryor had to come in late in the season uh, you you said, at least in the immediate reaction of the game, that you were pretty impressed with what he did after watching his film that that hold up. Yeah, Matt Pryor's a big fella. The thing about being a big fella on the offensive line is you can do a lot of things wrong and it doesn't cause a problem because you're huge. So Pryor, he's 6'7", and then like the Eagles list him as like 330-something. Wikipedia lists him at like 350, you know what I mean? Like, TCU had him in the 340s. Like, he is 
something big you know what i mean and so i don't know exactly what the weight is but he is huge and the wingspan is massive as well i'm pretty sure he's got a seven foot wingspan if memory serves so what does this mean the eagles like tackle bodies at guard right isaac samalo who was able to play tackle at oregon state at left guard he's always had a better body for the inside but he's like six three three oh five like he's like a tackle size like he could pull it off brooks has always been a tackle body brooks is like six five three twenties right big v who very frequently bumped into guard for the Eagles, was their first guy off the uh, the bench as a guard or as a tackle, was obviously he was 6'5", 320s. Matt Pryor, who's there, was, uh, you know, he, he played guard at TCU. He bumped out to tackle for them after there was injury. The Eagles drafted him as a guard tackle guy and pretty quickly made it clear that they, they, they spent the most of their time putting him at guard. 6'7", 335. So the Eagles like to have that big body at guard. Why? One, it lets them just mow people off the line of scrimmage on double teams, right? And some of the best stuff that you see from Philadelphia is is a concept we've talked about before, their same side zone run, uh, where you have Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks double three technique and work up to the mic. And it looks a lot like duo, but they don't really sit on the, the double team and they run it out of 12 personnel and they have Goddard and Ertz both on, on the running back on, on, on the the strong side and they double the end and work up to the Sam and the back takes that step to the inside and then ends up working back outside and he cuts up field. And it's, it, it's, I don't know what to call it. I've talked with like offensive line guys about it. I've talked with running game guys about it and be like, is there a name for this? And they're like, nah, it's just kind of like how they're running their inside zone. So I don't know if, it, if it's just the way they like to block it or if there's a specific name for the concept or whatever. But moral of the story is when you have Brooks and Lane next to each other, you're able to really displace that strong side three tech and carry him up to the second level because you're dealing with an amount of power on that double team that a lot of teams can't match. Lane's one of the most powerful offensive tackles in the league. Brooks one of the most powerful offensive guards in the league. You lose Brooks, you're able to put in Vitae or Pryor. You lose Lane, you're able to put in Vitae or Pryor. When Vitae and Pryor played next to each other for that Seahawks game in the playoffs, right? Uh, the, 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 uh, the, excuse me, they, they played next to each other at the end of the Seahawks game in Week 11. The Eagles, you saw just, listen, we can't ask these guys to pull. We can't ask these guys to, to climb. You know, screens were not doing well for Philadelphia on that side. But if there's, they can do anything, they can double team and work up to the second level because these guys are hosses. So number one, Prior allows you to execute at least a decent part of your running game because of his ability to displace people. He's a bulldozer, right? And he works well on double teams. Did a good job with Vitae. Did a good job there. So you have that. Pass protection-wise, he's fine on an island, which is to say that Pryor's got great grip strength, good hand usage. His sets are and his footwork are getting better. Mm. And he's really able to set quickly on a 45-degree or on a jump set and, and and set shallow to a rusher and instigate contact, be the aggressor early in the rep. And when, when you're talking about an interior blocker, when you're able to instigate that contact early in the rep, you're really lengthening the distance between you and the quarterback, yeah. right? If you drop into that 45-degree set, you bring contact on a yard, two yards by line of scrimmage. Well, just think about how much closer you are to the three-step drop of a shotgun quarterback versus if you just hard jump set right to the three-tech, which is what Pryor likes to do. So Pryor lands hands, gets his feet in the ground, generates contact, and then he's further away from Wentz. And what this means is that even if he gets beat to a half man, a guy gets to the inside of him, Pryor has a long runway to turn his hips, 
get his momentum going, and take that guy and steer him beyond Wentz. Or if mm. he gets bull rushed, he has a long runway to reset his feet, drop his anchor, and, and stymie the bull rush. You see examples of both of that on film. He gets beat to the inside of the outside, or he gets a, a rush up the middle, and he's able to use that long runway to account for the fact that he's not the most nimble dude in the world, not the most flexible dude in the world, and withstand the rush. He does a really good job killing bull rushes. That's where he's at his strongest. Yeah. The issue with this in pass protection, the sensation of levels along the offensive line, right. and how defensive lines can take advantage of that. When prior hard sets, when he jump sets, when he sets very aggressive, very early, he, he brings the momentum forward. He's putting himself at a different level, one yard behind the line of scrimmage, than the offensive tackle, perhaps, is. Who, you know, like if this is Lane, Lane loves to deep set, <laughs> yeah. right? So Lane will set four or five yards back. Vitae, who just panics a little bit, will set a little bit too deep and he'll open his hips too far. Now, what you've done is you've created a weakness in the B gap. The, yep. the, the tackle is responsible for relating to the guard. The guard is responsible for relating to the center. It's a bit of a, a, a two-way street there. It's not to say it's just Pryor's fault and he's in the wrong spot. But when you have an outside rusher threatening the tackle's outside shoulder, he has to go get that guy. He has to go meet him at the corner. And so when he goes to gain depth in order to do so, you as a guard, you have to be privy to that and acknowledge that if you don't gain depth, you're leaving that B gap wide open, and that rusher coming outside the tackle is going to cross face, get to that B gap, and he's going to have a really good alleyway to the quarterback. Yeah. Outside rushers love to threaten with depth and then cut inside because when you threaten with depth and try to go outside, often the quarterback will climb the pocket and you'll miss him. Well, if you can threaten deep and then cut back inside that B gap, guess who's right there for you and nowhere to go and you've got this the stunts aspect to it too you have to maintain those levels to be able to pass off stunts and that's something we saw was an issue early on with isaac siamalo and jason peters their different levels really affecting the way that they were able to pass those things off when you have different levels to such a degree like that it is extremely hard to get those passed off and that can lead to some really ugly looking pass pro reps and it can kill your quarterback right and that's that's the other thing right so when you look at Shaquem Griffin figured this out really quick against Vitae and, right. and, and Pryor in both of the games they played against the Seahawks. Yep. It's actually very funny because like Pryor played a half against the Seahawks, a half against the Giants, and had to play the full game in the playoffs. But it was the Seahawks, so like it didn't even get like the Seahawks like knew what to do against Pryor, even though Pryor had taken like eighty snaps to that point. But Pryor and Vitae on the right side, Shaquem Griffin, who's faster than three Vitae's combined, <laughs> would just threaten outside shoulder and then plant that outside foot and literally just juke just like hop into that b gap because prior was very frequently suckered upfield by like a slow rushing defensive tackle whose only job it was was to hold prior upfield so that griffin could get inside that b gap so with prior you have because of his limited quickness because of his good hand strength it is best for him in pass protection to a hard set but if that doesn't work within the schema of your offensive line which when he was being thrown in there in the second half against the Giants because of an injury, they never really sat down and game plan for this. Right. It didn't fit in the schema. So if he's going to be your long-term starter, you either one with Lane have to be able to say, we're going to set more aggressively. We're going to set 45 to jump set, which the Eagles, you know, Jason Peters and Isaac Samal on the yeah. left side of the line jump set fairly frequently because that's good for Peters and his depreciating athleticism. But Lane is always deep set. Lane loves his vertical set all the way back. Yep. So you either got to adjust how you play with Lane or you have to have Pryor improve his ability to pass set while he's on his heels, while he's on a 45-degree set, while he's he's gaining depth. They'll meet somewhere in the middle on that. Probably yeah. both things will have to happen. 
But that's the big concern right now for Pryor. It's not anything that he does individually. It's how he fits within the whole gestalt of the offensive line. And having that chemistry along the offensive line is extremely important and might be something that we'll see some struggles with early on in the season. And then things will start to uh, straighten out as the season goes on, as they continue to work with each other. So I wanted to dial back on one thing that you mentioned. You mentioned his length. I found his pro day measurables. 35 and a half inch arms for Matt Pryor. That would have been top five among the offensive linemen in the draft this year. That's wild, dude. I didn't know he was that long. Oh, yeah. No, no. When you watch Pryor film, the first time you catch him at extension, you're like, <laughs> oh, my. Like, hot diggity. Like, you know what? And then you watch a couple more reps and you're like, oh. And then I looked it up and I was like, yeah, this guy's humongous. Right. He has vines. He's got mitts on the end of vines, dude. That's a, that's a nice physical profile to work with. We'll see how it works out. W- would you recommend starting prior instead of yeah. trying to attack a, a free agent, a veteran free agent like I kind of alluded to before? Right. So with three-time Pro Bowler Larry Warford on the market, if the Eagles go and give Larry Warford six, five, seven, eight million to come play here for a season, I ain't going to complain. That's right. a good ball player. I think when you but, get into the double-digit millions, that's when I start to like right, if it's two for 20. He- Mm. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get at this stage in free agency. Right. I don't think he's going to get it. I agree. But, but because like what is true for the Eagles is true for every team, which makes it true for Warford, which is nobody knows what's happening on the 2021 cap. Right. So the Eagles want to roll over as much space as possible. So I don't think they're going to go after him. I think they're going to try to start prior now. And if they have to sign Mike Person in week three, because Larry Warford got signed somewhere else, then they'll sign Mike Person and be fine. Right. Um, but my guess is going to be that they try to stick with prior and save the money, and I think they'll be okay doing so. Will it be great? No. But if Pryor is the fifth worst guy in your offensive line, your offensive line is better than a couple offensive lines in the league. You know what I mean? So it's not like the Eagles are going to be go from first to worst in terms of offensive line play. They'll, they'll be okay. Ben. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of the Kiss and Solak Show. We were supposed to do uh, prop bets for the NFL. We talked about that last time. Jimmy, Kem- can you believe Jimmy Kemsky and BLG, those dogs? They did Eagles uh, over-unders already. They stole the idea right from uh, right from under our noses. Yeah, but they didn't do it as well, so it's okay. Yeah, so we're going to do the, uh, the NFL. We're going to do some Eagles prop bets. We're going to do it right. Not like BGN Radio. Sorry if you wasted a listen on that. Yeah. Oh, but thank you for anyway, tuning in. subscribe to BGN Radio. <laughs> right, correct. Yeah. Listen to all the shows. Download all of them and listen to them on repeat and download multiple apps. Ben. Probably the best thing we can do for lessons is to just repeat every show that Jimmy and BLG do like two weeks later and yeah. explain we did it better. I agree. Get two shows out of every topic matter. I solve the off season. We basically did that with uh, with Jamal Adams here. But look. A quick note moving forward, obviously, it's we're at the end of June. There's not a whole lot going on, so we do need stuff to talk about. And if you want to hear certain stuff talked about, what you can do, here's how you can get your question read on probably both BGN Radio and the Kiss and Solak show. Leave a five-star review. Leave a written review. And in that written review, have your question for the show. We will read it out and try to answer it to the best of our ability. So if you want your question aired... Go ahead and uh, put it on there, and uh, we'll talk about it if it's good, if it's good enough, if you if you make the cut. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kissed and Soul Life Show. Malcolm Jenkins is trending on Twitter. Oh, it's um the risk has to really be eliminated before I feel comfortable going back. It's just him telling the NFL to make sure they're safe. I miss you, Malcolm. Miss CNN you, contributor. He's my hero. <laughs> uh, thank you, as always, for listening to the Kissed and Soul Life Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. As Mike said off season 
So Jamal Adams, Matt Pryor, a hodgepodge of topics on this show, a hodgepodge of topics on the next show. But if you have anything you'd like for us to talk about, any questions you'd like to answer, you can get those over to us by leaving a five-star rating in the iTunes reviews. Of course, we are available wherever you catch any of your podcasts and all the BGN radio shows, including Gowin and Kemsky, Stolness, Clancy, etc. are all available if you subscribe to the feed. You'll get notified whenever a new episode is up. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. We will catch you after the next interesting thing happens <laughs> or a period of time in which we haven't done a podcast. That is correct. We all we got, we all we need, Fly Eagles Fly. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.